Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Amy. We're going to continue our series this summer in the book of Jonah that we started last week. And last week, we learned that Jonah's not just simply about uh, a guy that ran from God that got uh, swallowed by a fish. There's no whales in the baptismal today, just so you know. Nothing's going to jump out. Uh, But the story, though, it does include that. Uh, The story includes God's judgment. That's not the main point of Jonah that we learned last week. The main thrust of Jonah for us to understand is it's a book about God's mercy. And as we come to the story this morning, we're confronted with two things. We're confronted with a storm that comes upon the ship that Jonah is on, and we're confronted with the fact that he is sleeping. Storms and sleeping. I don't know about you, but the last couple of nights, there have been storms, and I haven't been doing a lot of sleeping. Like, storms and sleeping don't always go together, but they seem to in this passage, and we're going to be looking at both of those before we do. Let's pray and seek God's help. Father, we need your help this morning to see you. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truth that we find in your word, and I pray, God, that we would, we would learn as we observe what goes on here and the things that aren't going on here and the things that you're calling us to. But ultimately, Lord, help us to see your mercy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, to review a bit, we're going to focus on verses four to six. Last week, we focused on verses one to three. And what we learned last week, there was a slide we had to put up of what happened with Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. He was called to preach a message of repentance to those people. Those people were known as being evil and oppressive. And and, uh, Jonah was prejudice against them, didn't want to go there to see them repent. He would have probably rather seen the nation of Israel just go and crush that people. So he leaves, and instead of going by foot to that place, he leaves, and he gets in a boat, and he goes to what 
would have been understood to be like the end of the world, the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. And that brings us to where we are this morning in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind. So Jonah's leaving the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurls a great wind. Jonah, Jonah thinks that he can get away from God, get out from under what God is doing, but God is clearly in control of what is going on. So the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there is a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The, in the Hebrew, the, the language there kind of, kind of has this sense of like, like the ship was a nervous wreck. You know, like it's just kind of like it's just on edge. But it's, it's at the place, it's about ready to just snap apart. That's, that's how strong this storm is that has come upon the ship. Now let's see how, how the folks on the ship respond. Then the mariners were afraid. Now, we should take note of that. These, these are guys that are light in their loafers, right? These guys are sailors. They're used to taking cargo long distances by ship. They've seen storms before. They've navigated through storms before. But this storm was so strong, these guys who are used to doing this job, they are afraid. And they're so afraid, and each cried out, to his God. Just, we are at the end of our rope. We're going to just cry out to whoever is going to listen. And doesn't that happen? Even those, I've encountered some who are atheists, that at the point of some deep, dark storm in their life, though they may say they don't believe in God, they want to believe there is something out there in the midst of what is hard. So they, they cry out to their gods, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load for them. This was their livelihood, but it was so bad. They thought this was the last day that they would live, and whatever they could do, they were going to get rid of their livelihood. It didn't matter what was going to happen to them. When they got to shore, they just wanted to get to shore. So that's their response to the storm. But Jonah has a bit different of a response. Look back at your Bibles. Second half of verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So I know as we read that in English, it can feel like, well, yeah, Jonah was just, he was taking a nap and he didn't realize the storm was going on. I mean, that, that, makes, that makes sense sometimes. I wake up and everybody else in the house is awake and I was sleeping through something. But in the original, it's not that clear. It's not that clear that, that Jonah went down and was already asleep before the storm came. In fact, it leaves the door open to the reality that it's possible that Jonah, as the storm starts to come up, he might have seen it on the horizon. He was just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of getting a little nasty. I think I'm just going to go down in here and take a little nap. Like, it seems that he was unaware or, or not wanting to concern himself with what was going on, and then he goes to sleep. And he goes to sleep, and he doesn't have just a little tiny cat nap. When it, it's referencing that he, that he laid down and was fast asleep, it was kind of like he's, he's stretched out. He's in a deep sleep. He's in like a deep REM trance-like sleep, like the kind of sleep that dads have 
when they snore so loud, the neighbors wonder if a walrus has come into the neighborhood. You've heard that snore before, right? We've all heard that snore before. My kids have told me they've heard that snore before. I don't know where it's coming from. But it was that kind of sleep. While on top of the ship, everyone is going nuts. They're throwing things off the ship because they're worried about what's going on. And Jonah is completely out. And so the captain comes down in verse 6 and says to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought or give a thought to us that we may not perish. I mean, he's not saying it. He's not just coming up and nudging him. He's like, wake up. What are you doing? Do you not know what's going on right now? Cry out to your God, any, anything. And even though the captain is likely screaming at this point, the way the story goes on, as we move on to verse seven, and we're not gonna get into that till next week, like they go back and they're trying to figure out what's going on and, and how they can navigate. We, we don't have reference that Jonah does anything right away. He gets woken up. And he doesn't go, oh, there's a storm. I should do something to help. No, he's just kind of, he's kind of in a stupor there. Because Jonah was focused on himself. He was focused on himself. That's, that's why he was sleeping. He's focused on himself. That's probably why he's not going to do something immediately. And sometimes we can get too focused on ourselves and miss opportunities that are right in front of us. Now, we, we are gonna look at storms and sleeping as we look at this text, storms and sleeping, but we're gonna hit the sleeping first, even though it kind of comes second in the text. So you see a two on the screen, it's, and we're gonna do that first, but we're gonna, we're gonna hit the sleeping first because storms, when they come, they often wake us up, like, like the storms that we had in, in recent night, they woke me up. Storms wake us up to God's mercy because God's mercy wakes us up to love our neighbors. In God's mercy, he opens our eyes to the needs that are around us. He wakes us up in the storm <clears throat> to see that, that we're in a storm with, with our neighbor. I mean, the problems and things that we deal with, we're dealing with with our neighbor as well. The challenges that we're facing in the world right now, we're facing with those who don't know Christ either. It's not just one individual that's facing the problem and, and others aren't. Jonah is facing the same problem as those who are in the boat with him that, that don't know God. And yet, they're the ones that are trying to do something about it, and he isn't. So we're called to live in a world with our neighbors. I mean, in Matthew 5, 45, it says, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, God's mercy is meant to wake us up. We're, we're not, it's not just those who are in the church that are here that are navigating life, but his mercy is to wake us up to be an extension of his mercy. So God mercifully wakes us up with storms sometimes to see that we are called to be an extension of his mercy to our neighbor. So for Jonah in the story, his neighbor, that, that's the people that are, he's on the boat with, and he ignores his neighbor 
He's ignoring the call of God first, but then he's on a boat with, with a captive audience, people that he could be serving, and he doesn't serve them. One author stated the text indicates that Jonah resisted doing anything or even talking to the pagan sailors. The bad prophet Jonah is the very opposite of the good Samaritan. He has no concern for the common good, no respect for the non-believers around him. In the New Testament book of James, the author argues that if you say you have a relationship with God based on his grace and you see someone without clothes and daily food and do nothing about it, you only prove that your faith is dead or unreal. That is why James can say judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. The lack of mercy in Jonah's attitude and actions reveal that he was a stranger to a heart that understood God's mercy and his grace. His heart had gotten so hard, he had, he had forgotten he served a God who was merciful a God who was graceful. He'd, he'd forgotten the many times in Scripture where you could see God has been merciful. And so we are called to extend God's mercy in the places that we live, in the communities that we live in. And there are practical ways that we can do that. Even though Jonah did not do that, we can do that. Just want to give you a couple of things that I've learned from folks that serve in our church. There's there's a couple in our church that serves at the Benton Harbor Soup Kitchen. And they've been fired up. I think they've included encouraging some folks from their small groups to go and extend God's mercy in that particular way. There's small groups that I know have made meals for, for individuals that they didn't know. And I'm not talking about like this small group making a meal for this small group. That, that happens. But no, someone in a small group comes and says, I have a friend who's who's in desperate need, they're, they're discouraged and they're walking through a trial and they've got nobody. And the small group says, uh, well, what can we do to help? And they come and they, they meet the need. I've, I've heard story time and again, they, they meet a need of someone they don't even know. That's an extension of God's mercy. Folks giving financially in that way to help somebody that they don't know, extending God's mercy. Folks that serve at Life Plan, where they're coming alongside women and men to help them value life and provide for needs and provide counseling and share Christ with them. And there are other opportunities. And if you want to know, like if you're like, practically, how do I do this? We have a, a little tab on our website that says, meeting needs, uh, you can go out there. It's not an exhaustive list of every ways you could meet practical needs in our, our county, but it's a place to start if you don't, if you don't know of a place to, to go or, or how to serve. And here, we can't meet every need. As individuals, you can't meet every need that you come across. As a church, we can't meet every need that we come across, but we could meet one or two, or maybe if God gives grace in the season you're in, maybe more. I think, I think the church does need to be woken up to the fact that there are needs. It's not just a, a spiritual call. Because like, it's some Christians on one side, you know, because the, the term mercy ministry or, or you get into words like social, phrases like social justice or, or other things, some of those have, have become loaded with all kinds of baggage. 
Like even just mentioning it, those kind of things come to your mind, all kinds of different things come, come to one's mind about those things. And there's a reality that, um, that we're called to serve. And some Christians will say, well, we need to be incarnational. We need to make sure that we are meeting practical needs for people. We want to feed people. We want to clothe people. We want to make sure that they have some of their needs. We want to help walk through some of the challenges that, the, that they're facing, wrongs that they're experiencing to make them right. That's what we need to do because Jesus came and he was, he was with people. And then there's other Christians over here on a, on a different side of things, and I don't know that they're on opposite sides of a coin, but they'll be like, well, you know what? The greatest need that people have is that they don't know Christ, that they're facing an eternity without God, facing his judgment, and the thing they need most is they need to hear about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to make sure we share the gospel with them. That's the most important thing because that's the greatest need that they have. And so that's what we should do. But the gospel holds these two in tension. And I don't even think they're on opposite sides of the coin. And too often they get put there and, and everything in between. Because here's the truth, friends. We have received mercy from a loving God when we didn't deserve it. We received mercy from a loving God when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't seeking it, when we weren't ready to appreciate it. God extended his mercy to us by sending his son while we were yet sinners. And we can learn what it looks like to walk this out, not by Jonah, who was sleeping and, and ignoring what was going on, seemingly. Because Jesus gave us the example in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's an afternoon. You could read Luke 10, 25 to 37. We don't have time to get into all the details there, but simply to say, this is an individual who came across someone who he would have been culturally kind of like opposed to talking to or even looking down upon, and he finds them having beaten up, takes care of them, uses his resources, restores that individual, cares for them at his own cost, at his own sacrifice. Boy, it's a challenging story. But it's displayed of one who extends mercy when, when he didn't have to extend mercy. And it wasn't because he was going to get something. It was because he had received something. Paul experienced this. Paul was in a storm on a boat. Like, there are other stories in the scriptures about being in boats and storms come upon them. If you were to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 27 and 28, it'd be a great devotional time for your family this afternoon to just read through that story. Really, the, the essence of it is Paul is on a ship because he's going to Rome. He's, he's been in prison. There are guards with him, and there are other prisoners in the boat, and they're, they're going, and a storm comes up and starts driving this ship. So much so, they throw the anchor down. The anchor's just kind of dragging along, and it, this like happens for like two weeks, and they're all ready. Or they feel like they're lost, and Paul, Paul proclaims, hey, God has said, we're all going to survive. God had just given him a vision, a dream, something. Uh, we're going to survive. So he proclaims this kind of eternal truth to them. But then he says this. Hey, um, you guys haven't eaten for like two weeks. You should, you should eat. You should eat some food. And so they eat some food. 
and then they toss it overboard because they're kind of like these other ones because the ship's going to break up, and then the ship does break up, and they're all saved, and they end up on the shore, and then what does Paul do when they get on the shore? Well, he goes in to find some wood so they can build a fire. He does something practical. And God shows up when we do practical things. God shows up in amazing ways. In the way that he showed up for Paul, uh, Paul's, Paul's gathering wood, and uh, he gets stung by a viper. Okay, he puts his hand out, and the viper just grabs on and holds on. Okay, and everybody else thinks, all right, God's judging this guy. He's gonna die. He's obviously done something wrong. He's gonna die right in front of us. And you know what? Paul doesn't die. Paul doesn't die. And so they think he's a God, and I'm certain, even though the text may not be explicit about it, that Paul shared Christ with them. So what do we see in that story as well? We see, we see practical, hands-on, mercy ministry. We see eternal truth, gospel proclamation. It's not one or the other, it's both and. In the midst of extending God's mercy by meeting practical needs, God often shows up in profound and amazing ways. If you keep your eyes open, God, God will show you good Samaritan opportunities. Happened here this morning. I had another story to read, but... Happened here this morning. Individual stopped at the church early morning. Not everybody was here seeking means of help and slept in their car for a number of days. A couple of individual saints in the church that remain nameless generously gave some resources so they could go get a hotel room and take a shower and get some breakfast. Those saints just had their eyes open. They weren't expecting to do that, don't know the details, hope this individuals come back, get to interact with them, follow up. Spiritual conversations were had in the midst of the conversation, but just trying to find out what's going on and, and had the opportunity to meet a need. And you know what happened? Because I had the privilege of being the delivery boy, which I seem to get that opportunity. I, it's a privilege I have that when folks want to bless somebody else and they don't want the right hand to know what the left hand is doing, they come to me and they go, take this, give this to someone else, and don't tell them I gave it to you or I'll break your legs. They don't, they don't say that. So I had the, I had the privilege of delivering a, a gift so that they could do this. And, and the individual in the car couldn't speak because they were they were overwhelmed with tears. What did they experience this morning? The mercy of God in a real, tangible form from a few folks that weren't expecting anything from them because they had received God's mercy. They extended God's mercy. So let's be willing to step into spaces that are messy I mean, sometimes when we step into those spaces, we can see change in lives and we have the privilege of leading people to Christ. And sometimes we step into those spaces and nothing seems to happen outward. But you know what? God changes our hearts. God's mercy wakes us up to see our neighbor who he calls us to love. So maybe be awake. May we be 
alert as a local church. And may we pray for the broader church to be awake, to be agents of his mercy. But the story starts out with a storm. Before we get to some of those other things that Jonah didn't do, the story starts out with a storm. It starts out with a, a huge tempest. When I talk about storms, even some of the ones that flew here, I just don't use the word tempest, right? That's just like everything is gonna get ripped apart. That's how bad the storm was. And here's the reality when storms come along, and many of us have experienced or some are experiencing now things that we feel like in life is a tempest. We are tempted to not see God's mercy in the midst of of the storm, because I can guarantee you there's mercy in the midst of the storm. And those storms come for different reasons, different categories, different reasons that happen, but I'm just gonna kinda hit two. One is storms can come as a result of our sin, and sometimes storms come just because we live in a fallen world. Now, to, to address the first one real quick, storms as a result of our sin. The Bible does not teach that every difficulty is as a result of sin. Not every difficulty we deal with in life is like a direct result. There must be some sin in your life if you're going through this hard thing. No, the Bible doesn't teach that, but the Bible does teach if we do have knowingly unrepentant sin in our life, it does bring about difficulty. If we violate God's design, there are consequences because God does punish sin. And sometimes the things that we do feels like the things we do are punishing us. There is a truth. If we choose to sin, we do choose to suffer. Because sin, sin is like an, an addictive narcotic. When you start to do it, you need a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. And, and every time you do it, you need a little bit more to get the same feeling. And it kind of takes you in this downward spiral. And Tim Keller said, sin always hardens the conscience, locks you in the prison of your own defenselessness and rationalizations and eats you up slowly from the inside. Now, Jonah's sin had an immediate result, a mighty whirlwind, a mighty storm, so strong that everyone expected they were going to die. But even if you find yourself in a storm that is the fruit of your sin, you need to know this. The storm brought about by our own sin is a mercy of God. It's a mercy of God. We tend to quickly think, no, it's a punishment from God. God hates me. He's never going to want to talk to me again. And this is just my heavenly spanking right now. This is what I have received. I've talked with individuals. They're just like, yeah, I must be experiencing this and God's just punishing me. No, sometimes certain things come about because God wants to keep you from continuing in your sin. Conviction is a good thing. Hebrews 12, 6, where the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. When we are in rebellion, it is God's mercy that he stops us before we get to our destination. He loves us. When you think about the parent who has got a child who runs in the store, takes off, maybe disappears, runs out the front door, and the parent runs after them. 
You've either been in this place or you've seen this happen. They run after, they swoop up the child, they've got the child in their arms, the child's like kicking and streaming and you know, doesn't want to be there and, the, and the, the parent's holding on to them with everything they can. Right? The, the sense of Psalm 139, like God laying his hand upon us. Like the, the child's feeling that. Why is the parent doing that? To make, to make the child's life miserable, as the child would say. Now the parent's doing that because they love their child. They don't want their child to experience danger. They don't want their child to continue on a path that's gonna cause them pain and suffering. Dane Ortland said, if we are united to Jesus Christ, our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Though our sins will make us more miserable, they cause his love to surge forward all the more. So even if you find yourself in that place, where you, where you feel conviction because of sin. It's not for you to be like, okay, this is the time for judgment. No, the time for judgment came when Christ went to the cross. Judgment did came. Redemption did happen. And now we have the benefit of being in Christ and experiencing his mercy, and we can come and confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So come and experience his mercy. But in talking about that reality, because Jonah had that opportunity, and we'll get into a bit more of that next week as we get into the rest of chapter one. There's a reality that storms come because we live in a fallen world. I mean, you look here at the text, you've got these mariners who are afraid. And we all know as we're reading the story why they're in that situation. They're in that situation because of Jonah, not because of them. And we can experience storms at no fault of our own, but God uses storms to draw both believers and unbelievers to himself. He uses those storms to draw them, not because it's some sick sort of way that he's trying to draw them, but he wants us to see his mercy when we're in the midst of the storms and feeling the effects of this broken world. And the sailors, they, they end up experiencing the effects of that reality. They're confronted with a storm. And we won't go into the next passage till, you know, in, in detail till next week, but at the end of it, in verse 16, it says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows because of what happened to them, because they were brought to the end of their rope, they hit rock bottom. However you want to describe it, they realized that they weren't the center of the universe, but they realized that there is a God who is at the center of the universe, and he's a God of mercy. And so sometimes we see folks reach the bottom. Some of you, that's part of your story, your testimony of coming to Christ. You hit rock bottom, and God opened your eyes to your need for Christ, and you came to Christ. Sometimes we have the opportunity to be with people in that place. And the storms of life often wake us up to lessons and truths we would never have seen without the storm. But I, and, and so there, there are times when we, we need to learn things because storms teach us things. They, they help us to understand what's most valuable. They kind of strip things apart, kind of like there are times like in the midst of 
the COVID season where we, we realized we could do this and not that. We could live without this thing because it wasn't available on the shelf or whatever. We, we learn how to, to do that in times of trial. So yes, though, though God does use storms to teach us stuff. I mean, he used them to teach Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. He was wandering in the wilderness for years. Sometimes it seemed like promises would not be fulfilled. That's where he felt. He was in that place. Or Joseph from the book of Genesis. You know, we got kind of a snot-nosed, arrogant teenager who then walks through life with trials, including slavery, being falsely accused, and then spending time in prison. I mean, he even kind of walks to the edge of the doorstep. He, re- he interprets two guys' dreams. And you're thinking, okay, the story is going to turn. They leave the prison. What, uh, what he says actually happens, and then he stays there for two more years. We don't have any details about those two more years. And there's times in life we feel like we're in the midst of those two years. Like, hey, where's God? Where's God in the midst of this? But God uses the storms. And and we shouldn't just be in the place of saying, well, I'm in this storm, so what what is God doing? And we want to ask that question. Even though I know God uses those storms, I know that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and that can be an encouraging thing for some of us. And I would say we need to be cautious when someone's in the midst of a storm of bringing that passage forward. I think when folks are in the midst of the storm, it serves to just sit with them. It serves to put your arm around them. It serves to make them a meal when they don't ask for it or mow their grass or or whatever. That truth is helpful for us to learn before we get into trials. But the challenge that we often face is like, what is God doing? I need an answer if he's teaching me something. But what what we need to know is God wants us to see his mercy in the midst of the hard He wants us to see his mercy is present. And so here, even the mariners, they're crying out to whatever God. In that moment, Jonah Jonah knew the eternal God. The devil wants us to think things about God that are wrong and are a lie when the storms come. He wants us to think God is unloving, uncaring, some kind of sick individual who just puts things in our lives just to make things hard. And that is a lie. It's so important for us to know God, to study God in the scriptures, to know his attributes so that we can know who he is, so that we can delight ourselves in him, so we can love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because when trials come, we're going to need the truth of who God is to navigate through the storm. Not just constantly asking, well, what's God trying to teach me? I know I have lots to grow, so inevitably there are things that I I can learn. But the thing I need to know most in the midst of that storm is my God is a God of mercy. This is not a punishment. But where, where do I find mercy? Because God saved us in the midst of the storm of our sin by sending his son, Jesus. And everyone who watched Jesus 
hoisted up on the cross thought. Failure thought. Defeat thought. Tragedy. Yet in the midst of the storm on the cross, God's mercy was most powerfully shown and at work, bringing about the redemption of his people so that they could be brought into his family when they didn't deserve it. That's what was happening at the cross. God's, worst, God's mercy came into our world through Christ's sufferings. And so if you are feeling the weight of the storms of life and you have not trusted in Christ, God is drawing your heart. He wants you to know he's a God of mercy and he wants you to know him. And you simply need to come to him and pray and you confess your sins, praying something like this, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Help me to understand and see your mercy and your sins will be forgiven. And if you'd love to talk about that, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. And if you're here this morning and you have trusted in Christ, the answer is the same for you if you find yourself in the midst of the storm. It's to come to Christ to know that Christ is drawing you right now. Because Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He wants us to come to him in the midst of the storms, not just be in a stupor uh, the way they were, not just crying out and just frantically when storms come. Sometimes the temptation in my life is like, I got to do something. I need to, I need to fix this. I need to stop it. And my, my best friends go, you need to stop trying to fix it. Slow down, cry out to the one true and living God because mercy is found in the midst of the storms. And I know that some of you are walking through storms that seem overwhelming and you wonder where God is. But he's present. And I know he's present because she showed himself to be present in the midst of storms. Because there's one more story in closing I want to read to you about about a boat in the midst of a storm. In Luke chapter 8, we read the account of, of Jesus who's in a boat with his disciples. And I'm going to read verses 22 and following. Luke chapter 8. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. How different the stories of Jonah and Jesus. Two prophets, opposite results. Jonah is rebellious and running from God and his presence. Jesus wants nothing more than to be in the center of God's will and the center of his presence. Jonah went to sleep to avoid serving others, and Jesus went to sleep because he had been serving others. Jonah slept painfully, 
because he was running. Jesus slept peacefully because he was trusting. Jonah took no action to help others when he woke up, and Jesus took action to serve others and to put them at ease by calming the storm. Jonah ran from his duties. But Jesus obeyed God perfectly. He ran into what God had called him to do, to live a perfect life so that he could go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And even in the midst of this storm, we see that he is God because he has the power over all creation. Because back in verse 24, and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Jesus is the one who is in control over the storms. The disciples got it right by going, Who is this? When the storms come, the place to go is the presence of Christ to go into his presence, to go to his word, to go and be with his people, to be encouraged to point you back to Christ because we forget. Now, sometimes as we come into his presence, he calms the storm. He actually, the physical storm, the infirmity, the challenge that we're facing, sometimes he calms that storm by bringing, uh, you know, resolution to something or healing or, or different things. Sometimes he does that. And then other times He doesn't. Other times it seems like the storm is raging on. Sometimes it feels like when we're praying, the storm gets worse. But Jesus, as in this passage, is present in the midst of the storm. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the one thing he does bring is he does bring a calm to the storm that rages in our hearts. Because when we we pause and direct our gaze towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we remember we don't have to wait for him to do something. We remember what what he did and what is already done, what is already finished for us. And it changes everything changes the way we interact with those who need mercy. It changes the way that we interact with the storms that we face. And so this morning, we are going to be reminded of what Christ has done and take communion together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and get the elements. And as they're doing that, I want to encourage you just to pray for a few moments. Pray and seek the Lord. Maybe there's some baggage that you do need to toss off. Maybe the Lord is dealing with you with some things and you need to pray. Maybe you just simply need to come and be reminded of what Christ has done. Maybe you need to repent of your sins and come to Christ and you can do that right now. 
Just take a few moments to reflect on the truths that we have learned this morning and direct your hearts towards Christ. And then when you're ready, you know, you don't have to wait long. You know, get up from your seat, come down one of the aisles, and the ushers will serve you the elements, take the elements back to your seat, and then I'll come up after everyone has their elements, and we'll take the elements together. So friends, let's, let's just take a moment to direct our gaze and our hearts uh, towards uh, the risen Christ. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.